Good morning, gentlemen. I love the uh, Presbyterian version of debts and debtors. I've tried that on my banker several times and it hasn't worked yet. But I'm going to keep trying. Guys, I turn in Acts to chapter 8. And we have so far, up until chapter 8, uh, seen some amazing evangelism take place with masses of people coming to know Christ as Savior. It's amazing how successful this gospel was right from the beginning. In Jerusalem, thousands of people were coming to believe under the preaching of, of Peter and the apostles. Uh, and then even in Samaria, we saw a, a mass of people coming to believe under uh, the deacon Philip. What we're going to see today is that the Lord uh, not only works through mass evangelism, Billy Graham style, but he works through personal evangelism, uh, your style. Uh, and he intends for every one of us to be engaged in personal evangelism. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 8. Philip has already been an effective evangelist uh, in Samaria when he receives some very strange instructions and has an amazing experience that should encourage every one of us. Let's look at it beginning with verse 26 in chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south. That would not be the south in our country. That would be the south of Jerusalem. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before it shares his silence, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Wow. 
All right, what we want to see about our mission is that it is an evangelistic mission, but I want us to begin with the first two verses, or the verse, first verse and a half, and see that our mission is, first of all, God-directed. God directs our mission. He directs it from the Scriptures. He directs it by His Spirit, both in prompting your heart to evangelize the people around you, and by His Spirit, uh, providentially governing everything in the universe so that all of your encounters are not just chance encounters. They're not accidents. It's not good luck or bad luck. The Spirit of God is organizing everything in the world so that the gospel will go to His people that He intends to have live with Him forever. It is a God-directed mission. And if you've been engaged in the mission, you have many times had a sense of God's direction. But let me tell you something. Even when you don't have a sense of God's direction, He's still directing it. Certainly it's true here. If you look, an angel of the Lord, this angel appears several times. You find an angel of the Lord in chapter 5, chapter 10, chapter 12, uh, chapter uh, 27. An angel of the Lord is constantly at work in the book of Acts. Because why? An angel, just the word angel, uh, angelos, just means messenger. It's a messenger of the Lord. The Lord is directing through angels and other means um, his mission. And notice that they're going to Gaza. He, he says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, what is, where is Gaza? Well, Gaza is in the southwest uh, area of Israel, southwest of Jerusalem. It's kind of the last watering hole before you enter the desert on your way to Egypt. And that desert would be a very long way. So, of course, you know the Gaza Strip now uh, that is in the news and very controversial. That same general area. And Philip was in Samaria, a place of rolling hills and fruitfulness and moisture. And he's told to go down to the desert, to go to Gaza, which is the last stop. And Gaza is about 2,400 feet below Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem's up, on, up in the Judean hills. It's a little cooler up there. Gaza now is the entrance into the desert. And, uh, and I'm sure that Philip, like ourselves, would have had many things we could have said to that angel. Uh, what is your name, actually, anyway? You know? You're kind of a, I've never met you before. Who are you? We could ask about the, uh, the identity and the credentials of the angel. We're not sure if this is really from the Lord. Uh, we could also make arguments like, well, you know, I'm having great fruitfulness and success right here where I am in Samaria, uh, in a populated area. Why should I go down to Gaza where almost nobody lives? It's kind of like saying, go out to a little oasis in the desert. You Here you are with all these people in the urban area. Now I want you to go out to the desert. You can make all kinds of arguments. Another argument you can make is, God, I mean, I, I think I know how to work with these people here in Samaria. I feel more comfortable here. I can relate to this culture. It's a little bit cross-cultural, but, I, but down in Gaza, those people, I just don't know them at all. I have absolutely no connection, and that's a long way from where I am right now, and I'm, I'm not, not in the mood to travel that far. And, and it, besides, this could just be a bad dream. Maybe it's really not an angelic appearance in the first place. It's amazing how our minds can work if we're making all kinds of excuses. And we make the same kinds of excuses, don't we, when it comes to personal evangelism. You sit down next to someone in the, in the airplane and you're thinking, well, this would be an opportunity to talk, to talk to him about 
Christ. Well, no, I got a lot of work to do. Uh, this is my personal testimony because when I'm on airplanes, I've always got lots of work to do. And we can all make all kinds of excuses why it doesn't make any sense for us to share the gospel. Oh, so-and-so, he wouldn't want to hear it. He'd just get mad at me and take it as harassment. Or, you know, he's heard it before. Or I'll just talk to somebody else about talking to him. We, we can come up with all kinds of excuses why we're not going to share the gospel with someone. But I want you to notice B, verse 27a, we must respond. And here's what it says about Philip. And he rose and went. He rose and went. Gentlemen, it's this simple. We've been given the great commission in the scriptures. That is the great commission, not just for church leaders, not just for apostles. That's the great commission for the church, not just the church at large when it meets in assembly. Church is every individual in the church. That's the big idea, is the great commission. That's the reason you're here and not there. The reason it hasn't taken you yet is because you have a commission to perform. And you know, when you evaluate yourself in your work, you have several ways that you can ask yourself if you're doing a good job. If you evaluate yourself as a father or husband, you have several ways in which you can evaluate yourself. But if you want to evaluate yourself as a human being, as someone who's been redeemed on the face of the earth, here's the agenda by which you evaluate yourself. You may want to be evaluated on many other areas, maybe your handicap or your tennis game or the amount of money you make or the amount of money you give away. But the agenda is over here. It's called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission has many inferences to it. Whatever the Bible says and whatever the proper inferences from the Scriptures are, there's the voice of the angel to you and to me. And the question is, are you going to rise up and go or not? And here we see Philip, he rose and went. He did exactly what that angel told him to do. An outrageous command that seemed to be completely illogical. And he did it because he knew that it was from the Lord. We know that the word from the Scriptures is from the Lord. Whatever inferences we have from the Scriptures, we must obey. And we can't wait, as you saw in USA Today uh, article, I think it was last week, we can't wait for the next John Stott. You know, John Stott died this year, kind of the leading uh, pastor scholar among evangelicals. We can't wait for some, somebody to replace him in some way. Of course, no one ever will. Uh, there'll be somebody else, but they won't replace him. They'll be themselves. You can't wait for the next Billy Graham. No, it's, it's us. It's us ordinary guys who are the ones to hear the Lord and go out. Now, secondly, in verse 27b, we see that our mission is not only God-directed, but it is universal. And I say that because of the most interesting character that Philip ran upon, uh, literally, when he got down to Gaza. And here we're told in verse 27, there was an Ethiopian. That is, first of all, the mission is to all nations. This man was an Ethiopian. Now, an Ethiopian in those days is not quite the same as an Ethiopian today. Uh, Ethiopia in first century A.D. is what the Bible calls the land of Cush. Uh, it would be southern Egypt down to northern Sudan, all the way down to Khartoum. That would be known as the land of Cush in the Old Testament. This is where this man was from. He was an African. From a land where, as far as we know, the gospel had 
not been heard yet. Uh, in the next century, Irenaeus, uh, one of the bishops in the church, uh, reports that this man became a great evangelist and missionary in Ethiopia, this Ethiopian eunuch. But this man was, first of all, an African. So to Philip, he was, this was international work. Uh, this man had another native tongue. He obviously understood Greek, as we'll see as he was reading the scriptures. But he had another native tongue. He was from another place. Scholars say that to ride a chariot from Cush to Jerusalem would take five months. So this man was traveling five months one way, five months the other way, just so that he could worship in Jerusalem. But he was from another place. The Bible says that we should go into all nations, make disciples of all nations. The word there is ethnoi, all ethnic groups. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you get converted to him, you get converted to his church, and you get converted to his world. So when you become a believer, you now are responsible for the world. You may not have been very interested in the world before. You may not have ever traveled the world. You may not have read much about geography or other social groups in the world. But when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you immediately begin to get interested in the world. And so therefore, not just the political and military events, not just the famines and the droughts, but you want to know what is the status of God's people in each portion of the world. Is there any part of the world that I can particularly help? For example, our church, uh, we don't have mission stations in every one of the 196 countries of the world. No, we just pick seven of them where we have major epicenters. And then we have 55 or 60 missionaries uh, in some of those epicenters and other places. But we pick seven major areas where we're going to try to work. And if other churches will pick epicenters where they're going to work, then before long we can connect all these dots and we'll see the international kingdom, uh, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ being raised up around the world. But everybody must say, I may not be an international missionary, I may not be traveling to every other portion of the world, but I'm invested in it. I'm praying for it. I'm giving so that others can go. I'm building friendships and encouraging the work as an individual and within my church. The mission of Jesus Christ is an international mission. If the mission only applies to your ethnic group, it's not the mission of Christ. You see, it's it's an oxymoron to say that you believe in Jesus Christ and you're only going to minister to your ethnic group. Because if you come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he commands you to be engaged in all the nations of the world. So you would be contradicting the gospel itself, the very message you say you're communicating, you're contradicting it if you only have an investment in your ethnic group. So we all take all ethnic groups. Uh, some of you uh, may um, have the, the pretty thick book called Operation World. If you don't, it's not very expensive, and it's a great buy. You know, After you get your study Bible, you need to get Operation World. In Operation World, it gets published about every six or seven years to update it. You will find an updated description of every country in the world. And you will find a description of the status of the church in every nation of the world. And you'll get prayer points for every nation of the world. Uh, You can go online and every day Operation World will send you a country to pray for and give you some quick facts about it. And so I just get it on my iPhone every day. I get a different country that I'm praying for. Ever, maybe sometimes ever so briefly. Sometimes if I know more about that country, I pray longer. But
but I get that country. I have Operation World, the book, but I just get it sent to my iPhone so that no matter where I am, I'm praying for some country every day. It's just one way in which you can begin to engage the world. But notice this man was an Ethiopian. Philip knew nothing about Ethiopians, but he was going to learn real fast. Secondly, notice that it's all lifestyles. This man's a eunuch. What's a eunuch? A eunuch is a man who's been castrated. Now, it is true that the word eunuch was sometimes used as a title for someone in government work. And the reason for that is uh, the one who would organize and operate the king's harem. Harem would be the collection of his concubines, the women with whom he would have sexual relations. That's the harem. The one who ran the harem had to be a eunuch. Right? King didn't want any of you guys messing around with his concubines. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to be the one who helped get the concubines ready for the king, you're not going to have an interest in the concubines. We're going to take care of that. So you'd be castrated. Now that's what a eunuch was. Now as time went on, if you were in the king's service, sometimes you'd be called a eunuch, but not normally. So we suspect this man was truly physically a eunuch. Now he was not handling the, the king's uh, harem. The reason was we have a queen here. Her name is Candace. But he was running the treasury. And often, treasurers were also also castrated. Now, I don't know if that helps with the problem of, you know, stealing funds in the treasury, whether you're less likely to do it. Uh, Maybe that's a solution for some of you in that business. I don't know. But (laughs) for whatever reason, this man was a eunuch, and he was a queen's treasurer. So he was a big deal. He was the top financial officer of his nation. So, But this man has a different lifestyle, doesn't he, as a eunuch? And you notice that the gospel goes to every one of us, no matter what our situation is. It is the Christians who ought to be involved with people with AIDS, ought to be involved with the so-called gay community. We ought to be seeking to minister and to help however we can because the gospel itself goes to everybody in every lifestyle. And it makes no difference. And if we begin to make a difference, once again, we are denying the gospel itself. The very message we carry gets undermined by the way we select our audience. And believe me, everybody else who's a non-Christian looking in upon what the church is doing, they know that we're denying our own gospel. They know better. They've read enough about Jesus to know who he was and what he did. And they look at his disciples. We're not doing what he did. Look here. Every nation, every lifestyle without discrimination. And thirdly, all classes. Uh, I've already told you, this guy was a big dude. But if you look in the first part of chapter 8, where Philippines is in Samaria, he's dealing with the underclassed, the under-resourced. Here he's dealing with the high and the mighty. And the gospel goes to both. It doesn't discriminate against either one. It doesn't discriminate against the poor, and it doesn't discriminate against the rich. And sometimes I hear men say, oh, you know, so-and-so Bob wouldn't be interested in the gospel. Well, he's got everything a man could ever want. I mean, look at that big house that he lives in. He's got the most important job in, in the city. And look, he, he, his beautiful wife and his children, and he's just got all the money anybody could have. He travels the world. He just wouldn't be interested in the gospel. Oh, really? 
Listen, rich people think about death just as much as poor people do, and sometimes more. And I don't care how much money you have, you don't have an answer for that. Now, you can put yourself into a very fine funeral, and that's about as much as you can do about your death. You can arrange for a really expensive casket that will really impress all your guests. Meanwhile, you're not there being impressed. You're going to be in another place. And you can't solve that destination with your money or your influence or your prestige or your intelligence. Every rich man knows that. Don't discriminate against them. And here you have a man who was of the upper class, as it were, or at least the middle upper class, shall we say. And Philip was directed by the angel to go to him. And then fourthly, notice not only all, all ethnic groups, all nations, all lifestyles, all classes, but all religions. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And as I mentioned to you, he had come a very long way. And uh, we don't know exactly what this man's religious affections were. He could uh, be what we call a God-fearer. That would be a Gentile who had not yet been completely proselytized into the Jewish community and who would go into the court of the Gentiles to worship. It seems more likely, frankly, that this man was part of the Jewish diaspora so that he was himself Jewish. I'm telling you, five months to go to worship is a pretty big commitment when we find that even committed evangelicals these days go to church less than twice a month because they'd rather do a little something else or they had a rough night last night and just sleep in. Not very committed to worship at all. This man was committed to worship. It appears as though he was a converted Jew, Ethiopian. So, as my friend Tim Keller says, here you have a case of a black, transgendered Jew that's being evangelized. All right? So, that's important. All ethnic groups, all lifestyles, and all religious backgrounds. And don't let yourself hear yourself say, well, I can't evangelize old so-and-so. He is a committed Muslim. He would be offended. Don't ever let yourself hear yourself say, well, I won't evangelize old Reuben. He's a good man. He would be offended because of his Jewish commitments. Would you notice, please, that the Ethiopian Jewish man needs Jesus Christ for eternal life? Philip was learning, everybody was learning, that being Jewish doesn't save anybody, anywhere, anytime. The one who saves is God. And He does it through the provision that He makes. And the provision that He has made is Jesus Christ. And if someone is a good Muslim, they not only don't kill people who disagree with them, they actually give money away, serve people, they're honest, live lives of integrity, cannot be saved by their lives of integrity and their good intentions. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive Him because the best of us is a sinner. That's what the Bible says. 
we have all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, says Paul, and fallen short of the glory of God. What's the problem with falling short of the glory of God? You fall short of heaven. Maybe you've got enough money to be an astronaut. Maybe you can project yourself to the moon and to Mars. Let me tell you something. You'll still fall short of heaven. You can't get there as an astronaut. Maybe you've got enough money to buy a big yacht that'll take you across the Atlantic Ocean. Gentlemen, you could travel around the world on your yacht. It'll never get you there. Maybe you've got generous spirit and you want to give millions of dollars away to people who need it. That's not enough. Why? You still have fallen short. The Bible says everybody falls short. How are you going to bridge the gap? There's only one way. Someone has got to bridge the gap for you. Someone's got to pay for the sins that you committed. And the Bible says there's only one person who can pay for the sins of somebody else. That would be a perfect person who has no sins to pay for himself and a perfect person who has infinite value in his life, that is, he's deity himself, so that the value of his sacrifice is not just for one human being, but it's for the entire race. That person is Jesus Christ. So here, a faithful Jew, I'm talking about a very sincere Jew who will travel five months for a worship service and who reads the Bible, needs Jesus Christ to be saved. Don't let any of us find ourselves saying that my old friend so-and-so of another religion, you know, he's sincere. And I'm going to honor him by not sharing the gospel with him. Thank God that Philip didn't believe that. And I'll tell you who else thanks God. The Ethiopian eunuch thanks God that Philip didn't believe it. So it's for all people of all religions. And the people sometimes who need Jesus more than anybody are the people who go to church and call call themselves Christians. They need to be converted sometimes more than anybody. So don't think that just because someone goes to a church that they're not to be evangelized. Thank God Philip didn't think that. The Ethiopian eunuch was going to church. But he didn't know Christ. And there are some churches in this city who don't proclaim Christ. And people go to their churches all the time and they never hear about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank God Philip knew that you need to share Christ with those people. Some of you are in this room. Go to churches where Christ is not preached. That's the reason you come to Amen Bible Study. You know what you need to do? Get your friends to come either here or somewhere else where Christ is being preached. Because they can go to that church as long as this man went to his church all their lives. And never receive eternal life because they never hear the answer and the way to receive eternal life. So don't let religious backgrounds or sincerity of religion in a person throw you off. It didn't throw the angel off who sent Philip here. So Philip goes to this man and we find then that our mission is not only God-directed and universal, but thirdly, verses 28 through 38, our mission is evangelistic. Evangelist, the evangel is the good news. Eugalion. Evangel means good news. Our mission is evangelistic. First of all, verses 28 through 29. 
And here we want to just learn as much as we can about how we're going to relate to the people of all nations, all backgrounds, religious backgrounds, all classes, all ethnic groups, and so on. How are we going to do it? Well, let's, let's look at this case, take it apart. First of all, evangelism happens as we go, led by the Spirit. We are told here that he was returning, the Ethiopian eunuch, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, let's just stop right there for a moment. This is amazing. The angel leads Philip to a man who is reading Isaiah. Now, why do you think he was reading Isaiah? Well, leave your finger in Acts and turn back with me to Isaiah. And turn especially to Isaiah 56. Now, in the Old Testament, you wouldn't remember this, I'm sure, but when we studied Deuteronomy in chapter 23, it says there that anyone whose testicles have been crushed or who has been mutilated in his privates is excluded from temple worship. So you'd only be allowed in the outer courts. So the Ethiopian eunuch was going to Jerusalem, traveling five months to go to church, and he was not let in on the inside where all the other Jews were to worship. He had to, he had to worship out in the court of the Gentiles. So even though he's a convert, he can't go in because he's a eunuch. Now, he's reading Isaiah. You want to know why? Well, look, look at chapter 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. This is page 1343. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. <laughs> Some of you say, there's a good phrase, a dry tree. I was wondering what I was. There you go, a dry tree. Verse 4, for, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. <laughs> I think I know why the eunuch was reading Isaiah. The rich and wonderful promises to those of us who previously had been cut off, those of us who are known as outsiders, those of us who are not included by the people of God, even for legitimate reasons sometimes, we're promised in the Scriptures all those barriers are coming down. But now, uh, so in reading Isaiah, however, when Philip comes up to him, uh, the Spirit, well, first of all, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, <laughs> what you have to remember is uh, a chariot in those days probably was like this. This is what most scholars say. Is probably a flat board on top of wheels. That's about, that's about it. So this was not the luxurious class. This is not first class. Uh, even for a wealthy man or an important man, I mean, the chariot is, is a pretty rough ride for five months. And that's probably what was going on, but, but it was moving. And moving a little bit faster than a man could walk. So the, the, the spirit, the angel had directed Philip, and now the spirit of the Lord is speaking to him. You find the Spirit at work in Acts over and over again, guiding and directing the church. 
The book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit reaching the world for Jesus Christ, working through people like you and me, directing us and guiding us. And in our day, by the Word and by the inferences from the Word and the prompting of the Spirit in our hearts, He's alive and He relates to every one of His people and He prompts us. He's directing us into the mission. And He directs Him to go over and join this chariot. Now, so the first thing is, notice, it's led by the Spirit. And you should expect God to lead you. That's the reason we pray for lost people. And that's the reason we pray for the door to be open to evangelism. And we pray for the Lord to give us courage to walk through the door when it's open. You see how we pray? We're saying, Spirit, take over my life. Spirit, lay upon my heart the five men you want me to pray for. Gentlemen, I suggest you do that this week. Get your top five. Get five men on your list, and you're going to be committed to praying for them regularly. I hope daily. Pray daily for them. Pray for the Lord to open the door of opportunity for you or someone else to share the gospel with Him. And pray that you will, as Paul asked his friends to pray, that you will walk through the door when it's open. So begin asking the Spirit to lead you. And then you expect the Spirit to lead you. And let me tell you something, the Spirit will lead you. And if we open the floor for testimonies, if this this house right here began praying for five people each, we'd have story after story of how the Spirit had led us in these coming days. So expect the Spirit to pray and open your life to Him. That's evangelism uh, is led by the Spirit and it happens as we go. Let me just mention this. It's happening as Philip is going. Philip's life is directed by the angel, but this is taking place while he's just walking along. Philip is going to Gaza because he was told to. He has no idea what he's supposed to do down there. He feels like a total idiot. He's now in Gaza. It took him several days to get down there. He's looking around. What am I doing in Gaza? Was I dreaming that some angel sent me to come to Gaza? And some of you are doing things that you feel like the Spirit prompted you to do, and you just feel completely awkward. You don't know what in the world you're doing. I remember the first time I tried to evangelize. Uh, I, I had to because I was in evangelism class. And I'm dead serious. That's the only reason I was evangelizing, because I was in the class, and our assignment was to evangelize before the class next week. And, of course, I waited six and a half days Completely terrified. I was a brand new Christian. So I go up. I'm, I'm living in, in Quincy, Massachusetts, and I go up to Faxon Park. I just say, oh, God. Right while I'm praying, a guy pulls right in front of me with his girlfriend in the car. I'm sitting there, Lord, is this, is this the one? So, I mean, my class meets in 45 minutes. This has got to be the one. <laughs> so I get out of my car, and I start walking toward that car. He throws a beer can out the window and takes off. That's my first story of evangelism. Not very successful. Feeling like a total idiot. Total idiot. And I'm sure that's the way Philip felt. Now, look, you don't know how this is all going to happen. You are to be ready. You're to pray for open doors wherever you are. The great work of the church is not through mass evangelism. That's what you have to keep remembering. There are very few Billy Grahams in the world. Very few. And furthermore, you want to know what percentage of the people who come forward at a Billy Graham crusade are actually converted and join the church and get engaged in the church? About 3%. So I praise the Lord for mass evangelism. And it still is going to happen throughout. You know, the technological age is not going to remove mass evangelism. I promise you. So there's going to always be mass evangelism. Big crowds of people are going to come to Christ in various seasons, especially during times of 
uh, international revival. And those seasons happen. We haven't had it for 100 years, but we're, like, you know, we're praying for it to happen again. But the real work of the church through the ages, the gospel has been shared primarily this way, one-on-one. How does it happen? As you go. It doesn't matter what your job is. You're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you're a businessman. Wherever you go, you pray for opportunities wherever you go. Sometimes when you travel, sometimes it's a workmate. You have to be careful not to use company resources for your evangelistic ministry. That would be stealing. So be very careful. But when you're out to lunch and you're on your own time and you go with someone who's a workmate and you're caring for them, who knows, you're going to you're going to have opportunities to serve them in a variety of ways. And what's the best possible way you could serve someone is to be sure that they know what's going to happen after their body's in the grave. So it's as we go. You know, uh, sometimes uh, my, my assistant will say to me, you know, you really can't take this premarital counseling because you just, you, you have too many things on your schedule and you don't have enough. And, and I said to her recently, yeah, I'm taking them. I'll tell you why. I do some of my best evangelism in premarital counseling. The ones who are least known in this church who want to get married. I want all of them. I've led four people to Christ this year in in premarital counseling. So in my business, that's one of my best opportunities to reach out to people who don't know Christ, but they want to get married. And I have the great joy of explaining to them what huge difference it makes if you really know Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, what about your opportunities? Where are they? Are you positioning yourself for them? Are you playing golf with the same old foursome? Or are you looking for new relationships where you can build friendships with people who haven't yet heard the gospel and they might have a chance if you play golf with them? Have you thought about your social network? Is it the same old party at the same old houses with the same old people who have heard the message before and rejected it? Or now you go look for some new parties where you can meet some new friends. It's this kind of thinking. It's as you go. That's what happened to Philip. Now, look, secondly, evangelism not only happens as we go, led by the Spirit, but evangelism requires initiative. It requires initiative. Now, you pray for the Lord to open the hearts of people. And you can pray specifically for people. You pray for the Lord to open the door. You pray for the Lord to give you courage. But you don't pray for the Lord to announce the message from heaven that overwhelms the man. No, he's going to speak through you. And you're the one who's going to take initiative. And this is where you can feel especially silly. Like, first of all, socially. Take social initiative to be a personal evangelist. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. So here you go. Philip is in the desert where there aren't many people. And he's wondering why he's there. It took him days to get there. He was having a good evangelistic mass ministry up in Samaria. Now he's in Gaza looking around. The spirit prompts and says to him, go talk to that man in the chariot. There's one little problem. The chariot's moving. I'm not. So here's Philip. What you doing? You know, so Philip is evangelizing, running along like an idiot, talking to this guy. And what does he do? The moment he rides up, he's feeling like a you know, total jerk nerd. And he hears the man reading Isaiah. Because in those days when you read, you did normally read out loud. This man was reading Isaiah out loud. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so maybe I'm not an idiot. Maybe the Lord really is orchestrating things in this man's life to be timed with my relationship with him. And gentlemen, I'm telling you what, if you will begin praying and begin seeing yourself as the messenger and you're beginning to see this as your commission in life, 
you are going to see all kinds of providences that are going on that you never noticed before, where your willingness to relate to someone and to help them happens to be timed perfectly for the disaster they're facing in their business, for the divorce they're getting ready to go through, for their child that's hooked on drugs, and you just happen to be there. It's amazing. When you start praying, you see all these things coordinated by the Holy Spirit. But it takes initiative. You have to get into people's lives. You have to assert yourself just a little bit. And I'm sorry, guys, you're introverted and shy. You know, you just need to nudge yourself a little bit and realize, okay, it's fine to be shy. Some of the best evangelists in the world are very shy men. But they're men who know what their mission is. And sometimes you shy guys, I kind of wonder, how did you ever fall in love? How did you ever get married? How, did you ever ask her to marry you or did it just happen? Did you ever tell her you loved her? Did you ever take her out? Did you ever call and ask her for a date? Yeah, you took some initiative. And we know why you took initiative. You cared. Now, look, secondly, not only socially, but conversationally. When he heard him reading, he asked him this very interesting question. Philip didn't assume that just because he went to church and read the Bible that he knew what church and the Bible were all about. I'm telling you, people read the Bible all the time. Some of you in the Episcopal Church, you've got this wonderful prayer book. First time I read a prayer book, I dissolved in tears. It's so beautiful. The scripture readings and the prayers. you got people who are reading that prayer book have no idea what it's about. Do you ever think about that? Philip realizes this. He knows he's on mission. What people do doesn't necessarily reflect what they understand. And he says to him, do you understand what you are reading? And the man gives an honest answer. How can I unless someone guides me? Duh! How can I unless someone guides me? God gives guides to the church. He gives apostles. He gives pastors. He gives teachers. He gives you to people who don't understand what they're reading. And you just say, what's your interpretation? We say, well, you know, you can interpret any way you want to. Well, you can, but that wouldn't be accurate. Let me share with you what the Bible says about itself. And when you interpret the Bible in the scope of its own teaching, here's what it's saying. Of course, we don't understand everything. That doesn't mean we don't understand anything. So do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Hey, good deal. Now he's got a free ride. (laughs) So notice that evangelism happens as we go, led by the Spirit. Evangelism requires initiative. C, verses 32 through 35. Look, evangelism engages the mind. Evangelism is not just a social phenomenon. It's not just a spiritual phenomenon. It is primarily a spiritual phenomenon. It's also an intellectual phenomenon. There are real questions that you have and I have that need to be addressed. There are real questions that your friends have and we need to try to address them. That means, gentlemen, we each need to strive to be teachers of the gospel. People have legitimate questions. You say, well, how can I prepare? Well, I'll tell you what I do. The questions people ask me becomes the syllabus for my studies. So you guys ask me questions. That drives me to study. This congregation asks me questions. These premarital people ask me questions. One of them said, finally, when we got to his conversion, right before his conversion, I said, okay, what's, what's holding you up? You're saying you believe all these things. You think they're true. You're not ready to commit yourself. And his last... His last objection was, you know, I just don't know how to handle the whole situation with the church and their position toward the gays. That's a legitimate question. 
The church has not been kind and generous to gay people at large, especially the evangelical church. That's a legitimate question. It needs to be answered. And I've had that question many times before. Therefore, that, sil- that had been my syllabus. I've read books on this question. And I've thought about the church and their relationship to the gay community. So I'm prepared to deal with him. If I didn't, I would just simply say three words we all need to memorize that will help you a lot. I don't know. Learn to say, I don't know. And I want to get back to you. Then you go read a book. You talk to somebody you think does know. You begin to study. And then next time someone asks you that question, you're a better evangelist. Or you're, shall we say, a more ready evangelist. So let the questions of your friends and associates become the syllabus that leads you to the study, not only of the Scriptures, but even other things as well. And it begins with inquires questions. Look in verse 32 through 34. What the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch is asking a question. He says, who is he talking about? About whom is the prophet speaking? Himself or someone else? Start where the man is. Now, I've never had anyone ask me this question, who is an unbeliever. I wish they had. That'd be kind of easy. They ask me all other kinds of questions. The point is, whatever their question is, that's where you want to start. One of the dangers of being trained in evangelism is that you're trained to communicate something that's on your mind to the other party. And something that you're not usually very well trained for is to find out what his questions are. And I suggest in real evangelism, first thing you want to do is find out what his questions are. Where is he scratching? I'm sorry, where is he itching? And that's where you're going to scratch. And you say, well, I'm not trained to scratch where he's itching. Once again, there's your syllabus. And that's the reason you dive back into your church. And you desperately need church now. It's not going to be a question about whether you go to Sunday school or whether you go to Bible study. Man, you desperately need it because you've got all these people asking you questions and you've got to answer them. And you're going to dig in like a good scholar. So you start with their questions. If I'm dealing with someone who's an unbeliever, first thing I want to know is what are you dealing with right now? What's going on in your life? And it doesn't matter what they tell me. Sometimes it's a terrible marriage. Sometimes it's a child who, who's you know, off, off the ranch. Sometimes it's a serious disease. I start right where they are. Their marriage, their child, their, their business, their disease. I start right where they are and begin to talk about what difference the gospel makes right where they are. That's what we want to do. Start with their questions. Secondly, notice that the answers ultimately come from the Scriptures. He offers answers from the Scriptures. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this very Scripture. The very place where the Ethiopian was questioning, Philip then shows how the fulfillment of that Scripture is Jesus Christ. And Philip, just like Jesus did in Luke 24, takes him through the whole Scriptures to show how Jesus is the point of all the Scriptures. He deals with the Scriptures. One of the best things Billy Graham ever said in his evangelistic crusades over and over again was, the Bible says, you remember? Especially in his early days. The Bible says, There you go. You're not saying it. The Bible says it. You say, well, I'm not prepared to do that. Yeah, you are. You're getting prepared. That's the reason you're in Amen Bible study. Because you can say, the Bible says that God goes to all ethnic groups. So you feel like you're an outsider? Let me tell you about this guy called the Ethiopian eunuch who was evangelized and came into the church. So you know one more thing today. The Bible says. And that's exactly what the 
what the uh, uh, deacon Philip did. Thirdly, notice that our evangelism focuses on Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. He didn't tell him the good news about how, you know, if you'll just straighten up and live right, you can be a happy, happy man. He didn't tell him the good news about, you know what, the human spirit is so indomitable that if you'll just rise up in the morning and know that it's going to be a good day, every day's a Friday, and let's get out there and be snakes, and you can do it, and God is for you. That's not the good news. That's actually bad news. Because I got it this morning. And I had a good attitude until 7.30. And then my day fell apart. Well, so now I don't have a bad attitude. So now I guess nothing good's going to happen to me. Got a bad attitude. That's bad news to me. Let me tell you good news. Somebody else has a good attitude. Somebody else got up early in the morning. Somebody else went to the cross and died for me. Somebody else loves me when I am totally unlovable. Somebody else did the impossible. They raised up from the dead. Somebody else went to heaven and prepared a place for me. And out of his love for me, he is guaranteed I'm going there too. Now, gentlemen, that's good news. And I'll tell you why it's good news. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about you. And there are churches that are calling themselves evangelicals who are not preaching good news. They're actually preaching bad news because they're telling you what a wonderful person you are, what potential you have. And if you just rise up and realize what potential you have, you can be a great man. That's bad news. The good news is it's guaranteed by somebody else. You've got to get to Jesus. That's exactly what Philip did. He took that scripture right where he was. You can take any scripture in the Bible, and it will eventually take you right to Jesus Christ and Calvary in the empty tomb. So it focuses on Jesus. Fourthly, D, notice that evangelism leads to the church. As they were going along, there was some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. Obviously, the eunuch was a Baptist There's a new Baptist pastor, and he preached three sermons, his first three sermons, all on baptism. One, the chairman of the deacons went to him and said, Now, preacher, uh, next Sunday, uh, I mean, we really appreciate the sermons about baptism, but next Sunday, could you preach about something else? And the preacher said, Well, of course. He said, You pick the text. And the deacon said, Well, how about Enoch walked with God? Wonderful. That's a wonderful text. So he turns to Genesis. Next Sunday, he reads the text, and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, we're studying the text, Enoch walked with God. We have three points. First of all, Enoch walked with God. Second point, you can't walk very far without running into some water. (laughs) They ran into water. And let me tell you something else about God's providence. It's very obvious that God is at work. There's water in the desert. There was probably only one or two places between there and Egypt where there was water. There was one of them. Now, Baptist friends, in case you love this text because they both went down into the water, came up out of the water, uh, let me just remind you that at flood stage, the water in this area would be up somewhere around your ankles. So, uh, I won't get into that. All right. However he was baptized, okay? However, he was baptized. Uh, in the verb baptism is 21 times in Acts, almost always referring to water. And why? Jesus said, as you go, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? You not only lead them to Christ, but you lead them to the church. 
you sacramentally bring them into the body of Jesus Christ. And that's done sacramentally through water baptism. So our mission is not just converts. Our mission is disciples who are brought into the church and they are discipled. Not just always discipled out here outside the church. No, they're brought into the church and made part of the family. And that's exactly what happens here in the desert. The man becomes a Christian and he sees that he needs to be joined into the church of Jesus Christ. He says, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? You see, he had seen not his sexual uh, uh, dysfunction kept him away, not his ethnic identity kept him away, not his religious background kept him away, not because he was so important in a foreign nation kept him away. What prevents me from being included in the church? And Philip, of course, says, nothing prevents you. And that's the gospel. And I ask you, what's preventing people in this city from being baptized? Probably a lot of things, but nothing. And he was baptized. Lastly, we've got two minutes. Our mission is triumphant. We skip verse 37. You can get the footnote there because it doesn't belong in the best texts. It was not original. We're almost positive of that. It was added later. But we're at verses 39 and 40 now. Our mission is triumphant. First of all, it's mysterious. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And why was he carried away? Well, because just like Elijah in 2 Kings, just like Jesus in Luke 24, God's servants are always at work. They're always being taken away. I remember the first guy before I became a Christian, when I was an adult, shared the gospel with me. I never saw him again. He was in a sense taken away. And you know, that's the way the seeds of the gospel are sown. Sometimes the ones who influenced you, they sowed a seed in your head. They were just taken away. You never see him again. I can't wait to meet him someday. Secondly, it's joyful. Rejoicing is found seven times in Acts. I've listed them there for you. It's a theme, a major theme. And why was he joyful? Because, gentlemen, I don't have to travel five months to go to church and hope that because of my great sacrifice and my devotion to the law of God, I'm going to make it somehow after my death. No, all that's gone. I know the Lord Jesus Christ. I have, a, have heaven right here uh, in my grasp, right here from Ethiopia. No more trips necessary. No more hodges. No more pilgrimages to Jerusalem or anywhere. I have Christ and I have eternity. Of course He's joyful. It's always an outcome of the gospel. And then lastly, indomitable. Philip found himself at Azotus. What do you mean found himself? Same way he found himself in Gaza, led by the Spirit on the agenda of God. Azotus is the Old, Old Testament Ashdod. And he goes all the way up the coast of the Mediterranean, up 55 miles till he comes to the Roman capital, Caesarea. And there we know he lived for the next 20 years because Paul comes through Caesarea, stays with Philip. Philip had evangelized successfully all up and down the coast. One Conversion leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. That's what you're going to find out. You start praying for people. You start ministering to them. You start seeing them converted. One's going to lead to another. And that's exactly what happens in the gospel ministry. That's the reason that every single one of us, including Philip, is called to be a personal evangelist. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story of Philip, which is the story of every one of us. Thank you for the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, which is the story of every one of us who otherwise would be total outcasts from your church. But you have included us, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our previous experiences. And for the power of the gospel today, we thank you 
and ask that you'll help us to be your representatives here and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.